Welcome to Tech Leaders Hub, where we interview technical managers to ask them about their winning strategies, lessons learned, and actionable advice for other leaders. I'm your host, Jakub Greitzer. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to Tech Leaders Hub. It is so good to be back on the air. It's been a while since we had an episode, so I'm super glad to be meeting with uh, you, dear watchers and listeners today. And of course, I'm super glad to be having Espen Sande Larsen on the show, uh, Senior Vice President of Technology Exploration at DNB. Espen, how are you doing today? Um, I'm great, thank you. Uh, and yourself? Yeah, I'm amazing. Uh, obviously, <laughs> very excited to be live streaming again. Like I said, it's, it's been a, uh, a minute, so I'm super glad that we can do this again, Espen. I wanted to ask you, Given the topic of the conversation we've got for today, we're going to be talking about Web3, blockchain, and the metaverse, a lot to cover, and a lot of hype that we want to kind of take a look at today. Who do you hope is tuning into this session? Who do you think will benefit from listening to this conversation? Well, I hope that anyone who's curious on these technologies and new technology in general, um, uh, yeah, would benefit from this. So I like a diverse crowd to chip in. Yeah, yeah, I would like that too. And I hope a, a diverse crowd is joining us today. Before we get into everything rela related to the topic of this session, I want to do the traditional Tech Leaders Hub thing and ask you the traditional Tech Leaders Hub question because podcasts sometimes take a little while to get to the point and to start delivering value. We do things differently. So Espen, I'm going to ask you uh, the traditional Tech Leaders Hub question now. What is your number one tip for Tech Leaders? Let's start with that. Oh wow, that's uh, that's a big one. Uh, I think at least with the, today's topic in mind, I think it should be that you should be uh, aware to not jump on hype trains too eagerly and be a bit um, hesitant, but still uh, learn and observe and experiment with things on the hype trains. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So. Do you think there's a, a good way to try to kind of filter out what might be a little bit overhyped from what might be actually worth paying attention to? Do you have like a specific way for you to get closer to the truth here? Yeah, I, I kind of like to to draw parallels to the scientific community. Usually when there's heaps of research, heaps of papers, different views, different articles, much debate, that means that thing hasn't uh, manifest itself hasn't been, get, gotten cohesive yet. So, uh, but once you have all the evidence, all the experiments, everything leads to one conclusion or a couple of conclusions. Well, then it settles down, and there's no more white papers on the subject usually. Okay, so, very interesting. Oh, wow, so that's super interesting. I, I've got like a couple more follow-up questions about this. If that's sure. if that's okay. So first of all. Um, how how do you find that sort of information? Are there particular kind of platforms, websites you can go to, or how do you actually go about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's heaps. So online and go to meetups, go to user groups, go to conferences, uh, read. There's lots of books, lots of uh, articles. I, for yeah. instance, I love Medium because it has it's kind of the syndicated platform that's uh, that's uh, more democratic, and there's lots of different content. But also LinkedIn or um, yeah, in Stack Overflow. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, myself, I'm a very big fan of LinkedIn. Maybe that's why I like to stream on LinkedIn. Just because, I mean, everybody wants to have a nice voice there. There's a lot of content out there and there are a lot of mm, takes on different subjects. So for example, in the marketing realm, SEO is a hot topic. And a lot of people are saying SEO is dead. Some of the others are just saying, no, we're just doing it wrong. It's evolving. It's a very interesting discussion each and every time. Well, maybe not each and every time. But a lot of the time. So yeah, I, I can agree with a lot of that. Second follow-up question before we get to the next kind of step in the session. So is there anything that comes to your mind that actually is mature? Where, you know, this kind of storming phase is already behind us and the kind of opinion about it has matured and it's actually more trustworthy before we get to everything else we've got planned for the session? Well, I don't think with the technologies we are currently talking about, but there are some that are kind of forming like like uh, cryptocurrency is is has formed into something that is being used and utilized today it's mm-hmm. uh, it's heavily used in investments and in transferring funds cross borders and stuff like that so that is the use case that is as um, solidified itself but it yeah. hasn't we don't know how it will look in 10 years time or 15 years time yeah Definitely, def- definitely, and we should get more into that in just a second. Yeah. All right, very well. So, um, so that's already g- some quite interesting information. Watchers and listeners, just as a reminder, anytime you may have a question, just ask it, and we'll answer it as soon as we can. You don't have to wait for the end for the Q and A because there isn't a Q and A at the end. We're, we're taking questions all along the way. So yeah. more people are saying hello, hello, Christina. Alexandra, very nice to have you here. Super nice that many people are joining us today. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I so, also have to a little disclaimer because I also have to say that anything I say in this uh, interview is uh, solely in my own beliefs or my own uh, thoughts. They are not representative of necessarily what DNB thinks. Of course, yeah, uh, that's understood. Uh, so we're, we're talking just about your opinions here, but that is actually a very nice way for us to segue into a little bit more about you. So for the yeah. people on the stream who are not familiar with you, can you say a few words about uh, who you are, what do you do, and about DNB? Some people might not yeah, even be sure. familiar. So my name is Espen Larsen. I work as uh, 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 SVP in the New Tech Lab, which is a division of DNB. DNB is the largest bank in the Nordics. Uh, it's an uh, old bank. It's a conservative uh, uh, place, but it's also it's really, really focusing on uh, investing in technology and doing technology-driven things uh, to, to put the bank forward. So that is fun. And my role is to uh, design experiments, investigate technology, uh, learn, and share our learnings with the rest of the bank and other teams. Um, so that is what we do. My, my own background is I've been a software developer for, I think it's almost 30 years now. Uh, um, yeah, and I've been making software uh, ever since I was a kid. So that's what I do generally. And I'm also a musician. <laughs> musician too? What do you play? Uh, all the instruments you can see behind me, at least. So I play guitar, piano, keyboard, bass, drums. That's it. Oh, awesome, awesome. Okay. Yeah, that is very cool. I, I wish we could have a whole other session about all of that. I, I play bass myself. And cool. yeah, that sounds like something we could definitely explore. Yeah, my uh, bass is right there. <laughs> Bases, yeah, I'm still yeah, getting yeah. to bases. You know, I just got the one for for uh, now. Okay. I have yeah. a four exactly. string and a five string. 
Yeah, definitely. exactly. That's that, that's <laughs> where, I, where I want to get as well. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, but yeah. people are probably this is technically yourself. They're probably curious about uh, the technology. Yeah, let's get back uh, to the text. <laughs> yeah, and just just for extra flavor, I wanted to ask you. You sorry started coding a long time ago. What were some of the first things that you built in terms of code, and how did you build them? Oh wow! Yeah, well, uh, the first thing I ever built was a game that was published in a book uh, because Ooh. back in the yeah back in the eighties, uh, the library the, the was a software developer or software delivery system. So it was printed in a book, and you can type in the code on your machine. It was Commodore 64, and it didn't work because the typeset of the book was not the same as the typeset on the machine. So I had to figure cool. out why it didn't work. So it took me three weeks to figure out uh, what was wrong and got it to work. And that feeling was just so intense, and that kind of got me hooked. So I continued to create software. Yeah, first piece of software I ever sold was uh, it was called Birthday, and it was this uh, TSR uh, that loaded with the machine and would remind the CEO of which employer had a birthday that day, so the CEO can go down to the floor and say, "Congratulations on your birthday." (laughs) I was ten when I sold that piece of software. That is that is such smart strategy. You know, you you created something that's very very simple, but because you created yeah. it for you know a very very important type of person, you know, there's yeah. that's good business there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad that I asked that, that question. That was that was really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, alrighty then. Uh, I suppose you know with with that out of the way, we can start getting into the subject at hand. We've got Web three, blockchain, and the metaverse yeah. to cover today. So that's a lot, and we'll try that's to lot. give you know. Yeah, we'll try to give a little bit of attention to each of those. Uh, but of course, you know, with the comments rolling, we might stay a little bit longer on one or the other. Mm-hmm. So is it fair to say that these technologies are to some extent overhyped? And if so, which ones do you think are the most overhyped? Well, yeah, in my view, they are over uh, overhyped because there's so much different uh, views and so much different um, opinions. And there's also... Uh, a bunch of different use cases that are proposed for all of them that are not always akin to what the intent of the technology is. And that, to me, mm-hmm. says that this is a storming phase. Mm-hmm. I, I do believe that actually now the Web3, the blockchain as an application platform is probably the most hype. And um, Metaverse is gaining traction as well on the hype train. Okay. Okay, so... Uh, you know, for those who are maybe not very familiar, can you explain a little bit about the context here? So, for example, Web3, how do you think it's perceived right now? What is the promise of Web3 versus what is the reality? Yeah, well, it depends on who you ask, really, because there's not really a good definition of what Web3 really is. Uh, at the moment, mm-hmm. there are several several opinions on what it is. Some say it's blockchain, some say it is a distributed internet that is run on blockchain. Some say it's applications on top of blockchain. Uh, so um, my my EVP has abstracted it up to the point that Web3 is, uh, is both read, write, and transact, basically. And uh, while Web2 is read and write, and Web1 was read. Uh, okay. that, but that's highly abstracted away, I think. So to me, it's... Uh, it is the idea that we need to 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 put back democracy into our application platforms and our data and our and the way we transact and do online. It's it's kind of opposition to the giant tech uh, 
uh, companies guess what what it is. Yeah. You know, so when you say it like that, it obviously sounds really good, right? So like this David versus Goliath uh, mm -hmm. type of story, right? And people want to democratize access. Well, maybe not access to the internet, but the internet just itself. Yeah. yeah. That sounds there's, really good. But yeah. Yeah, there's lots of good intentions there. But there's also there's also a lot of capitalism, people who want to start up to scale up and sell out for a big pile of money, which I can understand. Mm -hmm. And if that's... And that is something the internet has told us over and over again. On each of these bubble hype trains, there's always money to be made, and there's a uh, mm -hmm. trend war of getting getting the funding. Yeah. Yeah. Also, no, I can I can talk about this uh, continuously, so I will stop, and you can ask more questions. Yeah. Very well. So. Yeah. I'm trying to find a good starting point for this. Obviously, you know, when I think about Web3, so let me ask like this, when it comes to Web3, are we talking just about the crypto space or what else is there aside from crypto within Web3? Well, it's, it's the, the, the thing that started with the smart contracts, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That you can have like, you can execute functions that include transactions on, on the blockchain. And it, yeah. since it's distributed, there's no one single person or one single entity that that is responsible for anything. It's all distributed to all the nodes. That kind of democratizes the process, right? Uh, and that is that is the key to what most Web3 things are. But it, there are so many special and strange and crazy use cases put into this space, like everything from NFTs to... Um, to uh, to tokenizing physical assets, um, uh, there, there's um, and lots of the, lots of those are pretty interesting uh, because they do come with problems. Like for instance, an NFT, you pay a million euros for an NFT and you can prove ownership. But the only thing you actually buy is the ownership of an IPFS link. You don't. There's no the binary or, or the image you buy is not part of this. The NFT that's on the blockchain. So if somebody mm. changes that link or that link dies, you own the dead link. Um, yeah. It's like if you take a post-it note and write a picture of a bunny. Um, would you buy that post-it note for, for for a million euros? I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Some some would. Yeah. yeah, I understand that. So. So I wonder, within Web3, do you see any use cases that are, you know, in your opinion, the least viable? That, you know, it's... Uh, yeah. I'm looking for something that, you know, that people think it might work out, but you're not predicting it well. Yeah, like the, the sense of NFTs, unless they can solve that part uh, where you actually don't really know you buy anything. Same goes with tokenizing physical assets. Some say you can put an RFID chip or you can put an NFC chip or something in your car and then you can prove that you own that car because uh, you can scan the car and it's it matches the signature. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't stop anybody from removing that chip and putting in their own or if they steal your car. It's the same as, as polishing off the VIN number and stamping a new one that car thieves have done for uh, centuries. Or not centuries, but <laughs> decades is the word. <laughs> yeah. So, so okay. yeah, so I don't think those are, uh, unless you can solve them, uh, it's that they're not viable. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my house on the blockchain tokenized if I knew that somebody can just 
change that to a new chip and take ownership of my house. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. And yeah. especially, you know, from my own perspective, because you know, I, I researched this a little bit and it's one of my guilty pleasures to just watch YouTube videos about a lot of this. <laughs> yeah. What I always found quite interesting is that when you when you democratize access, so to speak, when you remove the regulator from the equation, I'm coming yeah. back to cryptocurrencies here, uh, to be yeah. honest. It puts a lot of responsibility on the users themselves. For example, you know, if uh, you do, uh, if, if you make a transaction that you didn't intend to do, when mm -hmm. you've got a bank, you can dispute that. You know, you can, yeah. kind of, you to some extent, you can kind of restore your account. With blockchain, whatever happens happens. You lose your password, you lose your money. I don't think a lot of people are, you know, aware of that. I don't know if there's a question within that, but you know, yeah. You think there's yeah. any way to protect against that in the future? Well, there is the you, you could you could like trust the third party to to do custodianship of your keys or your wallets and stuff like that. But that means that you have to relinquish control back to an entity that is centralized. Mm -hmm. uh, and th there's lots of vendors offering that kind of thing as as a service. And there's a lot of people who offer that as a shelfware that, for instance, a bank or an insurance company could install and provide that service uh, but again that that comes back to the the the, the topic of trust because that's what uh, cryptocurrencies are actually designed to solve it's transacting in an environment where you don't trust any parties there's no trust so you can have zero trust transactions that you that you can trust that the transactions themselves are will go through and Usually, when we talk about banking, you usually trust your bank, or otherwise you wouldn't put your money there. You wouldn't get a loan for a house. Or, uh, you, you do that because you put trust in that entity. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I understand that some people might be kind of their level of trust in institutions is low, but to yeah. go to the other extreme that creates a whole other set of problems. So that's that's why I myself also don't think that this is entirely mature right now. Uh, because that, that problem is still not solved. And like you mentioned, if you put uh, the ownership, custodianship, you know, in another entity, then you're basically going back to the way things once were, but now it's yeah. kind of blockchain powered, right? Yeah, and that, that's kind of what makes me think that it's a bit funny that this whole uh, decentralized debate is going on because the internet started out completely decentralized. It was a network where anybody can be a node. They can put whatever mm -hmm. content on that node they would. And uh, this... The TCP/IP protocol and DNS system would uh, would uh, tell you where where to get your information. So it was completely decentralized, but we chose to centralize it because we chose to have governance over like uh, top level domains. We chose to have uh, use central actors uh, work as server and uh, service providers because that was more convenient than having your everybody having their own web server. So. Mm -hmm. We chose centralization because decentralized was uh, uh, not as efficient and not as convenient. So I think maybe yeah. we will see that in the in the blockchain world as well, because we we see we also see trends of it. We see these centralized uh, providers like uh, crypto uh, exchanges or uh, people who offer soft uh, smart contracts as a service or these uh, big NFT. Uh, platforms where you can put your NFTs and they will do all the blockchain stuff for you. 
Mm-hmm. So I think we will see that as well in this space. So I don't, that's why I think Web3 will be completely different once it forms into what it what what the solid ideas are in that space. The same thing that happened with Web2. Um, sorry, could you say that part again? Yeah, uh, the same thing that happened with Web2. Uh, I remember back in the day when Web2 was a big uh, discussion everywhere and everybody said what it would be. Um, it turned out that, that some were right and some trends were right and some were wrong and very wrong. So, right. um, yeah, the same thing will happen with Web3. Yeah, you know, I actually had a note for us to dig into that because when we were preparing for this session, this is something that actually came up when we, you know, kind of started unraveling that thread. Yeah, and then yeah. I said, you know, we got to stop, we got to leave it for the session. So let's get back into it. When we were preparing for this, you said something about, you know, how the Web 2.0 story unfolded really tells us how Web 3 is probably going to go. So let's yeah. explore that for a second. So how did Web 2.0 go you know who are the winners there and what does that tell us about web 3 yeah so the web 2 was uh, back in the day it was uh, it started out uh, a discussion of uh, not uh, adding static content to the web it was all about dynamic content and that grew into rich content and meaning you had more media types it was m- multimodal so you had like video uh, audio and animation mm-hmm. and stuff like that and one of the First big platforms where that was first Macromedia that uh, turned into Flash that was acquired by Adobe. Yeah. There was this point where every website had some portion of Flash on them. There, there was uh, even complete web portals that was entirely built in Flash. There was uh, web communities built in Flash, there was like uh, like Facebook, but only built in Flash with animations and cartoons and stuff. And then yeah. suddenly that just died. That just went completely away because there was once discovered a security flaw in Flash and that made a lot of bad stuff happen. And after that, it, it declined. The adoption moved away. And um, uh, because what also happened at the same time was HTML got uh, upgraded to, to a new standard and JavaScript engines were being as powerful and even more powerful than the Flash engine meaning that you can have a native application development platform in the browser itself without using plugins. And that that evolved into the apps and the mobile apps and all the different uh, social media platforms that also started to as a trend. Because we saw that in the early ways. We, because people think that Facebook was the first social media thing. It wasn't MySpace and GeoCities and uh, Friendster and all that stuff was predates Facebook by almost a decade, some of them. Uh, yeah. And the notion of producing your own content, that, that was also way back in the day. Like on GeoCities, everybody was blogging and writing about uh, things or articles and stuff. But okay. that evolved into what now is Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And you see that the early adopters aren't the winners or the, the early pioneers pioneering the technology aren't the winners. They lose. They're, it's when somebody understands what the essence is and what the users really want and mm-hmm. provides that as a service and catapults into popularity that is what takes the market like facebook dominated even though they were not the first one yeah yeah, yeah. okay so, so that's really interesting when you try and apply that to the current context because it seems like right now we are in the early stage of web3 so yeah 
Do you think, you know, let's talk about cryptocurrencies maybe. Do you think Bitcoin and Ethereum are going to go in a similar way to uh, MySpace and GeoCities and something else will come in that fits the need a little bit better? Yeah, I, I think so that that can happen because there's there's like uh, bo both Ethereum and Bitcoin. They are, they are um, uh, technologies that can reach what I call critical mass, meaning that there are no more, no more Bitcoins to be mined and no more Ethereum's gas to be earned. Mm -hmm. And uh, or at least so little that it isn't come that it isn't um, uh, viable. And when you lose people, uh, manage uh, lose people uh, having incentive to validate the transactions. Well, then also the chain drops. And okay. So and if something would come along that offers the same kind of uh, of trust and the same, or at least or maybe a tiny trade off. And be more convenient, more effective, have more transactions per second, and it's easier to uh, for end users. I think the adoption will be, yeah, straight on. So that's a startup tip for somebody out there. <laughs> yeah, do that, but better. And I, you know, I imagine a lot of startups are, are trying to to do that. What you know personally yeah. surprised me, kind of, you know, with my contact with crypto, there were a few things that, that surprised me. Uh, one was the, the realization that wow, I lose my password, I lose everything, which yeah, rough. And the second was that you know transactions, on top of being complicated, uh, it can also take quite a while. I mean, uh, yeah. I'm you know from the millennial generation, one might say I'm used to transactions being instant. You know, put my yeah. phone uh, to the terminal and it's boom done. So yeah, so that I think is a huge blocker, right? Because the transactions can can take a, a little while, and that's not what we're used to. Yeah, that's that's a that's a big thing, and that is why you have these exchanges that uh, collect uh, or uh, like do do uh, batch transactions and stuff like that because they kind of mm -hmm. as long as you are on their platform, they can like do net trading on the transactions internally, and then they can do the batch mm -hmm. and get that minted and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. that is just like banking. That is that's what banks do as well. So the central bank will keep a record, but that is usually just the net transactions between the bank. As long as they're within the bank, that they can do it instantly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so, so it's quite inefficient as it is. And the thing is that it doesn't get more efficient. It's designed to get less because the more Bitcoins are mined, the more difficult it would be to mint a new block. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, the same with Ethereum. So it's it's kind of <laughs> working against itself in the times of efficacy. Yeah, it's it's almost as if the time is ticking here. But hmm. I, I do wonder. Sometimes I find myself thinking that maybe Bitcoin is not going to be the new dollar. But it, I've heard voices like that, and I'm curious of your opinion that Bitcoin might not be the new dollar, but it might be the new gold. You know, something a little bit more stable against which other currencies are compared. What do you think about that? Yeah, it could be. It could be. It depends. Uh, but it's uh, gold is a tangible thing, right? It's something you can mm -hmm. dig up off the ground and you can melt and you can use it for something. Bitcoin is a technology, and technologies we, we, we have seen. If, if anything we learn about technology is that it's uh, ephemeral. It, it comes and it goes away. Yeah. That isn't uh, unless you're talking about the end of days. Then gold doesn't do that. It's it's physical and it's always there. 
Yeah, yeah, certain. Okay, we have an interesting take on that. So I wonder, kind of being mindful of the time, we still have you know the metaverse to to talk about because Web three and blockchain, I can see those are really yeah. you know related. Yeah. I was wondering if there are any other use cases within Web three and blockchain that you think you know that are specifically misunderstood and the potential that's being perceived is not the potential that's there. Aside from you know we talked about cryptocurrencies. Uh, we talked about uh, decentralized organizations. Anything else that comes to mind in the, in the sense that tech leaders should pay attention to that, but maybe not jump on the hype? Yeah. yeah. So it's. I think smart contracts is another thing, right? Uh, and NFT, as I said earlier, is an example of that because smart contracts say that they can produce legal binding trusts of a different kind of use cases. It could be like a will. It could be like ownership of something. It could be like who the the who the shareholders in the companies uh, instead of having that mm-hmm. centrally at the notaries. Uh, so, but again, it, it comes to how the smart contracts are built and what actually lies there uh, of information because that is the, the only the information that is in the transaction that is on the blockchain itself is the one that you can prove exists. So when NFT is just a link to something, it's just a pointer to something. The same goes for a tokenized asset or um, uh, a share in something or what what it can be. You still only own a pointer. You don't own the thing itself. Mm-hmm. That is that is something to be mindful of when you when you do if you do go into the, the space and invest and maybe build a service on top of a smart contract and stuff like that. So yeah, interesting. So um, two more or so questions about that before we move on to, to the other topic. Sure. So, you know, we're on Tech Leaders Hub here. And a question that I like to ask sometimes is a little bit of, let's not call it role play, but just trying to imagine a scenario here. So I imagine there are CTOs out there that, you know, they may be skeptical themselves, but they're being pressured to get into yeah. this, you know? Maybe the CEO is excited about Web3 and blockchain and you know, the CTO is getting questions like, why aren't we doing that yet? Where is our token, mm-hmm. why aren't we doing NFTs, et cetera. As yeah. a tech leader like that, how would you respond to it? I think it depends on what kind of business you're in and what, mm-hmm. what kind of responsibility you have to your users. If if mm-hmm. the business you're in would benefit from you exploring that space and maybe offering it to your customers and stuff like that, then I think you should invest in at least doing experiments or in explorations. But if it's the other way around, if exploring that space actually reflects negative on you or your users, you should you should stand up and say, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think that is right for our business at the present time. I think we should be on the mm-hmm. fence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be on the fence. Okay. So I suppose the natural follow-up question to that then is, what do you think is a type of business that would be a fit versus a type of business where it's not worth it at this point? Yeah, so uh, for instance, if you're in the the, the uh, gaming or entertainment industry, there could be some viable options to explore there for to gain uh, traction and gain buzz and uh, kind of get the, the the synergies from the hype train, I guess. Mm-hmm. But if you're in the national tax office, well, maybe exploring blockchain services is may may reflect bad on you because of the bad reputation of those kind of uh, financial uh, environments. I don't know. Could be. Uh, um, maybe it isn't. Uh, maybe it, like the the f- finance department of a 
a nation it shouldn't do lots of uh, investment into NFTs, for instance, it, because it doesn't fit their business. It doesn't aid their business. Yeah, it's an extremely volatile asset, right? You can yeah, buy yeah, it for yeah. millions and then sell it for pennies, right? That, that, yeah, we've and seen the latest happen. weeks that we have seen that very thing happen, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting conversation to be having right now. We're looking at entire crypto exchanges just basically collapsing yeah. overnight. That, I think, is a warning signal for everybody. It should be, because people went from being rich to being flat broke in a day. That is, yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's not smart to have all the eggs in that basket, at least. Yeah. And I think that is an additional danger that people aren't so you know familiar with is that with blockchain whenever whatever happens it can happen instantly when these smart contracts trigger without any scrutiny once certain conditions are met and you know it can be a cascade of uh, effects yeah. uh, once you know once the right triggers are in place so that's also a danger yeah it is and it's also a technology that is adopted by a lot of young uh, software developers and often juniors, and they can make mistakes. And then that makes it into a smart contract that is suddenly suddenly uh, responsible for millions of uh, valuable assets. Well, it could be dangerous. Yeah, exactly. The question I keep coming back to is, you know, smart contracts are created by people. So people can yeah. still make mistakes. There can still be bugs and vulnerabilities there. And once mm -hmm. it's saved on the blockchain, it doesn't seem like you have a lot of recourse uh, against that. There's not much you can do. Yeah. Um, for instance, yeah. In, the, in the case of Ethereum, the, the, the Solidity programming language is a good language and it's well designed, but it also is a difficult one with uh, lots of put guns. And <laughs> Uh, yeah, so you have to be you have to be uh, diligent when you're working with these things. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the gaming and entertainment space. Uh, I can see where you're going with that in terms of gaming and entertainment versus NFTs, because if we see that NFTs are mostly about this symbolical value, then within entertainment, there's this idea of you know collectorship. Uh, you know, you know, it's like. Maybe it's not so important that this is a, a pointer and the real thing if it points to something that's significant about an or artist that I care about, et cetera, right? Yeah. Or maybe it was previously owned by somebody important. That I, I can kind of see happening. So it's not like we're against the, the whole thing here, but it's, it's specific use cases, like you said. Yeah, I think I think th these things will have meaning in some contexts and they will have no meaning in others. And trying to force meaning into a context where it doesn't fit, that is, yeah, that is something that isn't... I, I at least don't think that is a smart thing to do. That sounds really quotable. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> try, try to, yeah. uh, we'll make sure to make a, a clip out of that uh, a little bit later. Okay, so um, okay, I think we covered everything that I, I wanted to follow up on within this section. Watchers and listeners, anything else about Web three and blockchain you want to touch upon? then feel free to ask about it. We'll come back to it. Meanwhile, uh, let me just take a little bit of a sec here. It got quite cold in my room here, so I just tried to make myself a little bit more comfortable. Cool. Uh, so with that said, let's talk about the metaverse uh, yeah. next. You know, Mark Zuckerberg's favorite thing, or maybe not <laughs> anymore, <laughs> not sure. So yeah. um, let's, let's try and start in a similar format. What is the promise now, why are people hyped and what is the reality? 
Well, I think people are hyped because they have this uh, Ready Player One view of what the metaverse will be. But mm. right now, it's like being inside The Sims from the 90s. So it's... Uh... <laughs> okay. So yeah, it, it, would probably, it would probably be something. Uh, but I'm not sure that the, the Facebook vision is what we will see. I don't think people will use the metaverse to have picnics with their friends uh, inside the cartoon village. Maybe they will, but... I, th I think there's much more interesting use cases for the metaverse than that. And I think, yeah, I think that's, it's kind of, as I mentioned earlier about Facebook being the winner of web two, because they, they saw the potential and they, they found the essence and produced that as a service. And that made mm. people like Friendster and MySpace lose. Uh, the, MySpace still exists, but it's a, it's like a bleak shadow of the dominating uh, position it once had. So. Mm. And it's kind of fun to see Facebook actually making that mistake themselves, being that they were the winner. Right. Now they are the early adopter. They are driving this into what they think the vision will be. And I, I, I'm, I, I predict that something like Epic Games will just, uh, no, no, Facebook, this is what the metaverse is. And they will launch something that is infinitely more what the users want, want to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will admit, even though I don't, exactly play Fortnite, the king of epic games. I would much rather hang out with my friends in Fortnite where I can be anyone, you know, have superpowers, fly around, have adventures, yeah. than Zuckerberg's metaverse where it's basically, okay, it's another meeting, but now you've got goggles on and I guess you can see more and it's a little bit more interactive, right? I think, I think yeah. that is the major part where the point is being missed here. Yeah. And I think that will be augmented once we get more technologies to get more sensors involved in the experience. Mm -hmm. And I, I do believe it will be more like in Ready Play One once it manifests itself. But that means it will be a place where you, where you, where you game and you interact in open worlds and you maybe build your character, you collect stuff. It's, it w I think that is the, the essence. I may be wrong as well, but. Uh, at least when I see uh, the way my kids interact with the metaverse, they don't use uh, um, Facebook's metaverse. They they use the online virtual reality gaming platforms. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think maybe it could be so simple that Roblox could take that position. Yeah, because they already have a big metaverse uh, with a lot lots of users, and um, if they just added uh, immersive experience through VR to that uh, and everybody got their VR headsets for Christmas, I think. Well, I think Facebook's share value would get a big impact if that happened. Yeah, yeah exactly. I got, I got two interesting follow-ups for that. One is, I suppose the kind of one epiphany that I'm getting is that there seems to be kind of two schools of thoughts here. Yeah. Either you're using the metaverse to try and kind of recreate the existing world, simulate the existing world. That yeah. seems to be what Meta is trying to do. Or yeah. when you look at Roblox, Fortnite, it's like creating entirely new worlds, dreaming up what might be possible. And it seems that people yeah. are gravitating more towards that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so. Because uh, that, that's what we have done on the internet since its uh, origin, right? We reinvented ourselves. We created uh, a handle when we, back when we were all just chatting on IRC. We created a yeah. handle. We created our backstories. We 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 kind of embellished the truth a bit. Of course, I'm uh, I'm one ninety meters tall and muscular and handsome, and 
when you're not really so why would we reinvent a, ba a, a, a poor uh, uh, simulation of the real world we live in rather than create a yeah. fantastical one that would be an awesome experience yeah yeah exa exactly exactly and that you know even thinking about this i'm finding myself getting a little bit hyped but honestly just because i mean i've played some mmos right and it's, it right. seems to be a, a similar experience but now it's got this new label on it right yeah so th i think that if we could get like world of warcraft in vr with the uh, unreal engine 5 level graphics well i guess everybody would buy a vr headset right uh, i think speaking of startup ideas right yeah <laughs> so so yeah yeah, that's, that's something to, to get on. So, and the next question I wanted to ask was about the technology layer, actually. I'm yeah. really curious about that. I keep trying to predict it myself, but it seems like I've got somebody super knowledgeable on the call here. So what do you think is going to be the next step in the technology, in the hardware, right? More sensors, yeah. miniaturizing what's already there. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, both of those will be true. Uh, but also, I think we will see different kinds of projection technologies. Uh, right now, you have like an optical lens in front of a LED screen on both eyes. I think maybe they find a way to project it on the retina instead that will be able to, to shrink down the headset and make it more comfortable. But also, uh, I've, I've tried a haptic suit, and it's pretty cool. It, it kind of gives you the sensation of actually being hit and shot and stuff. Uh, I think that can be uh, once that goes mainstream. Also, I tried that this um, from the movie Ready Player One. You can see I had this omnidirectional treadmill, and th mm -hmm, that's actually yeah. been built. And there's a company offering that. It's immensely expensive, of course, right now. <laughs> but once you can get that for like, uh, yeah, let's say, a grand or something like that, people will use that. And that means that you can also get physical. You can can actually walk in environments, and you can run, and you can dodge things. Um, yeah, I think adding more sensors and more degrees of motion, and being able to pick up more motion from your body, I think that will yeah. add to the experience. Yeah, yeah, and that make that that might make it more viable than to because it's gonna be. Hmm. Different enough and interesting enough that there's going to be a, a difference between actually, you know, playing an MMO but calling it a different name and actually being yeah. in the metaverse where a lot of your your senses are more involved, your body is more involved. Like I can, I yeah. can see that happening, I suppose. And yeah. and how do you think? I, I suppose we got into a lot of talk about you know what's what's going to happen in the future here, but I'm, I'm super curious. Do you think yeah. this is something that's going to be like owned by everybody at home, or is that something that you're going to you know? If you're using, uh, let's assume some people might use that for work purposes. You think they're gonna commute to get to some place where there are a lot of these sets and then use that, or will, will it be convenient enough to have at home? I think yeah, I think we will probably see it on the arcade level first, and then it will migrate mm. towards people owning it back home, like we did with with gaming machines. Hey, yeah, exactly. Mm. But I also think that we might be even seeing. Uh, that the hardware itself will be part of your subscription or part of your um, uh, agreement with your metaverse of choice. Hmm. Maybe something like Xbox Live would offer you uh, a haptic suit and a VR headset as part of their premium plan, for instance. And then you can get the next upgrade once it comes and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that might work too. So the next thing I wanted to, to get out of you is um, a similar question. 
actually, to, uh, to what I asked about Web3 and blockchain. Trying to imagine that tech leader again uh, yeah. being pressured by the CEO and everybody around them. Okay, so the metaverse is, uh, is super hype right now. Seems like we should be getting on that. And it's not so immediately applicable to a lot of businesses. But again, how would you respond? And, you know, it's probably an answer to the effect of it depends. So what does it depend on whether you should invest in this or not? Yeah, again, I think it depends on how how close to your core business would the metaverse be if it was mainstream. So, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, we are a bank. Should we buy a plot of land in one of the the open meta worlds where you can buy land and put up a bank and have like a have uh, and hire people to be financial advisors in the metaverse and sit inside our virtual bank? I don't don't think we should do that right now. And if if I'm wrong about where the metaverse is going and people will actually try to reinvent the 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 real world, well then it's probably something we should do. But I wouldn't say that we should do it now because otherwise that plot of land will be gone. Because there's probably the platforms where you can buy land and where you should invest, those aren't invented yet. What will be the mainstream ones at this point? Mm. So but so it's again like it has to do with context and your business. Yeah, definitely. That is actually a very interesting question. I never asked myself this is, you know, should business try to be more represented in, I don't know, Decentraland and these other yeah, metaverses? And what I'm hearing from you is basically perhaps not now, because that would be like, you know, planting your flag on MySpace when Facebook yeah. isn't even here yet to bring it to the Web2 yeah. example. That, that's that's okay. precisely. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't experiment or shouldn't uh, learn or shouldn't... Uh, maybe you should do something in-house. Maybe you should mm -hmm. uh, have uh, a happening or an event where everybody gets to try VR and try the, all the different mm -hmm. metaverses that you can try now and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. You should be familiar with what this is and not uh, be ignorant. Mm. Yeah, so that that seems to tie a lot into you know your role and your team's role at DNB actually. So it sounds like you know for what I understand, you're running a lot of these little experiments, taking something and seeing what the potential is here. I imagine some businesses might be interested in that and you know think about okay, how can we run a series of experiments, spin up a team like that? So if we could veer off the topic for just you know a little minute here, is you know, speaking of experiments, do you think there's a good way to do like a self-contained experiment within these areas and maybe some others? Yeah, I think so. And I think the best way is to get hands-on and not build up a lot of process around it. Not have mm -hmm. a lot of uh, like, uh, if you're, let's say, you have a big IT organization because you're a big comp uh, company, uh, you shouldn't involve the entire. Uh, software development lifecycle policies and stuff like that to do a VR experiment for for uh, a group of people. You should just go out and procure some headsets and put down a small team to build an experience and see how that goes to, to gain that knowledge. And mm -hmm. um, having such a team in house is very beneficial because it gives you the ability to to get a lot of learnings from these things quite quickly. Yeah. So what do you think, you know, specifically for your team, because it sounds like you're managing to see a lot of success, running a lot of successful experiments. What do you think is key to your team succeeding? Is there anything in particular that you're doing that, you know, 
uh, tech leaders should know about as a good practice? Yeah, sure. I can share about that. So uh, our team is uh, quite small. Uh, and that is by design. That is so we can move quickly and not have a lot of process and stuff slowing us down. And we also mm -hmm. have uh, we have infrastructure and licenses that are separate from the, the, the core IT in the bank, meaning that we can work uh, completely autonomously and we can do mm -hmm. everything from uh, from ID to deployments and operations. And I think that is very key to to align yourself so that you have every capability within the team to be able to see things through to the end. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And also we have a thing in our team that everybody, including our EVP, has to know how to code. So, uh, and that is also beneficial because we can all, all people in our team can assume any role in the in the project, even though we have different uh, things we are experts on uh, individually. But that, that is uh, beneficial because we get to learn a lot of, by being in different roles and we also get to, it's easy to spin up an experiment because it, we have no no uh, constraints it, like we, we we don't we if we wanted to do a vr experiment we, we wouldn't be constrained by oh but we only know java there are no good libraries for doing vr in java there there are but uh, uh, that's a good example yeah okay yeah so we can we can just say okay let's get unreal engine out then or let's get unity out then and let's spin up something and see what we can make so we mm -hmm. are pretty agnostic to to stacks and technologies and stuff like that it's very interesting from a you know a team composition perspective that you are putting the emphasis on being on people being a little bit more versatile yeah. uh, as opposed to you know some other companies or organizations or even you know, departments might be investing more in specialization you know deep expertise but just within mm -hmm. one thing so do you think this versatility is something that's going to be more important for you know teams and workers in the future in general or is that something that's more specific to this exploratory kind of work that your team does no i think we've seen that in uh, in the, the mainstream development uh, uh, community as well uh, especially with smaller companies and startups you can see everybody wants full stack developers they want full stack designers meaning that they can do both back and front end in, in essence and mm -hmm. I do believe that that versatility, being able to assume any role, even though let's say you are an IT security expert, but you can still do coding on the front end if you're asked to. I think that yeah. that means that you have less dependencies on certain resources. And if there's yeah. anything we've learned from doing software development for 50 years, it's dependencies is what kills projects and slows things down. It's not. It's not uh, libraries. It's not languages. It's not uh, legacy systems. It's not. It's dependencies. Mm -hmm. You have to wait for somebody else to do something, or you have to wait for something to be changed in the system you can't control and stuff like that. That is what stops progress. So if you have no dependencies, yeah. you don't have to wait for some special person to come to work. You don't have to wait for a special team. Well, then you can mm -hmm. go fast. That's very interesting. You know, I was always, I will admit, I'm one of those people that think that you know, specialization is actually a strong way to invest in yourself because when you yeah. actually get called, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just, I just having a conversation, <laughs> agreeing. 
Yeah, uh, but you know, it's it, it's a compelling argument that for certain types of work, or you know, just generally in the future, organizations might find that it's it's better to have teams that can move faster, and that is by limiting dependencies. I I agree. Uh, when there's a high degree of specialization, blockers can occur. You know, especially yeah. when random events happen, like you know, a key person goes on vacation or something happens, suddenly yeah. projects can come to a stop, right? Mm. Yeah. That doesn't mean you shouldn't specialize because being having special competency in one field enables you to to uh, to be a key resource for the team uh, in yeah. sharing that knowledge. So, for instance, my 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 area of expertise is one software development and it's also IT security. But that and that means that I can educate the rest of my teams on those principles, meaning that. Even though they are not specialists, they gain the same knowledge and they gain this, the same mindset when they they are doing their work. Hmm. So it's like okay. So what comes to my mind is you know the usual phrase is jack of all trades, master of none. But it seems like yeah. it's good to be a, like a jack of all trades, but master of one one particular field where you can yeah. be a mentor. Or master, master of some, I would I would say. <laughs> master of some. Okay. Yeah. Jack of all okay. trades, master so, of some. So, Sounds yeah. good. I'm gonna put that on my LinkedIn profile, maybe. <laughs> good. Um, okay. Well, we're, we're rapidly approaching the end of our um, session here today, which which blew by really fast. Um, watchers and listeners, if you have additional questions, now would be a good time. Myself, I think I wanted to ask one more question about kind of skills that are going to be more useful in the future. We talked mm -hmm. about blockchain. We talked about Web three, especially Metaverse, seems to be bringing in some some skills that you know previously may not have been that important and may be more important in the future. So what do you project? Which skills are going to be much more important in the future given the technologies that are coming? They are going to mature at some point. So what do you think is going to be you know, uh, uh, really, really appreciated? Yeah, I really do think that being a skilled 3D artist is something that will catapult into, into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. uh, and we see that uh, tools that Previously, uh, had the highest adoption were the proprietary expensive ones that was used in media and film and TV. But now we can see things like Blender is gaining a lot of traction and it's really evolved into this magnificent tool that is on par and in some ways better than the proprietary ones. And being that it's free and open source, it, it truly benefits from, from being community driven. Rather than like something like Autodesk Maya that has one release every three years and it's a core team developing it. So it's, it's kind of there at disadvantage. And I do see that things like content for the, the, the metaverse would probably be also opened to third parties, meaning that you can have like places where you buy stuff for your metaverse experience or for your character yeah. and things. And that means that you will have to have 3D artists that will create those. Yeah. So yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's so something that immediately came to my mind too. Uh, I keep thinking, you know, uh, I've got a one-year-old son, and I keep thinking, what kind of job is he going to have, for example, in the future that I can't even imagine right now? And I'm thinking yeah. he might be like a metaverse interior designer, for example, yeah, which is something probably. that people are already doing. It's just it's not, I suppose, not yet a job, but it very well maybe in the future. It could be. It could be. Uh, yeah, it could. Be. So uh, I, th I think uh, that, that 
focus on all the assets that will be have to be generated for the, the, the experiences. I think that will generate a lot of business opportunities and a lot with that a lot of different jobs and titles. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. So you know, in a sense, it's exciting because a lot of what we saw on the on the web, uh, you know, in, initially when you think about the the old web, it's you know a lot of it was just text, static images. Yeah. Now we've got, yeah. and now a lot of it is you know a lot of it is you know for example thinking about YouTube being a huge platform, but it's still all all two D, right? And moving mm-hmm. into the third dimension with all of that content, that's going to create a lot of opportunities. I agree on yeah. that. Uh, Glad I asked that question. All right. So we're very close to the end of our session. I wanted to ask you about just any kind of finishing thoughts that you might have here, something I failed to ask about that you really want to put out there for the Tech Leaders Hub audience about this or anything else. No, well, no, I think just to sum up that don't jump on the hype trains, but uh, observe and learn about what the hype is coming, what is generating the hype and what is truly behind the hype what is in, in these technologies and what is in these experiences and these services find find the yeah. gist yeah the more i have these conversations and conversations in general with with experts and knowledgeable people i feel like the two key things the two key words to always keep in mind is it depends i'm sorry and you know you can't unequivocally get hyped about any of these uh, technologies without thinking whether the use case makes sense, whether this is a type of business that will benefit from it. Some probably will benefit a lot. Others are getting excited over something that is not a fit for them. That, that's, yeah. that would be my takeaway from the session. Yeah, and I would also like to add, uh, be mindful and be uh, be aware that you might be wrong. What what you believe or what you think, it very well show that you're wrong and you should be mindful of that. Yeah, yeah. This, it sounds like something that, especially somebody in your position, in your team, you need to be really comfortable with that, right? Sometimes yeah. experiments just there's no potential. Yeah, we have a we have a we have a saying in our division that we fail fast, and nobody fails as fast and as much as we do. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that is that is such a nice note to end on. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, that face is... failure because that's where you, what you learn from. Yeah. Okay. I, I, feel, I feel that. Okay, cool. So um, I suppose that's our time over, if you can believe it. It went by yeah, well, so fast. So, <laughs> so, but I really enjoyed the conversation, Aspen. Honestly, uh, thank you for being on the show. It was, it was a great experience. Now, you know, with these last few minutes, I wanted to ask you if you have any announcements for the audience. Are there any, I don't know, open positions you might have or anywhere you might want to direct the people? Watching and listening, that they should yeah, do something or anything. Yeah, well, I can I can plug my talk. I, I will have a talk at NDC Security in January, where I will teach mm-hmm. about how hacking works and show uh, through uh, ex- uh, examples of real exploits how it works. And yeah, it, I think it will be a fun session. So, if you're interested okay. in hacking or you want to learn how to hack, you should check out that session. Yeah, and it sounds like you'll be in this master of some area of your expertise and uh, for that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, awesome, awesome. Okay, and for the people who might be meeting SDX Next for the first time, just two words. Hi, uh, SDX Next is the organization that is bringing you a Tech Leaders Hub. We are Europe's largest software development company featuring in Python. So we just wanted to let you know that if you're facing trouble with finding the right tech talent, maybe tiring is slow, 
maybe you're working with a previous agency that did not do such a great job, or you just want to build faster because deadlines are catching up with you. Any of those problems, we can make them go away. Uh, and the way we do them is we build technological teams of our primary expertise is Python, but we can do, you mentioned something today, Espen, about, uh, you know, having people who are versatile, who can take on any problem. We we build teams for that that can do everything from the initial business analysis through design, development, deployment, and much, much more. Go to sdxnext.com to find out more about that. That would be very cool. And for more Tech Leaders Hub, go to techleadershub.com. Follow sdxnext on, link on LinkedIn. That's the best way to keep in touch with us. That's where we put out the most content. Clips from sessions, uh, previews of upcoming sessions, you'll be in the loop if you just follow us on LinkedIn or go to techleadershub.com. You can subscribe to our newsletter there as well. And just a third thing uh, that we we're promoting just recently, if you're watching this and you're a CTO or you know a CTO or somebody in a similar position, we're actually currently running a survey, the third edition of the global CTO survey. So if you are and you have a little bit of time and you'd like to know what other CTOs are doing, how they're preparing for uh, the downturn, how they're approaching hiring, management, tech stack choices, and more, go to thectosurvey.com. When you fill out the survey, you'll be the first one to get the report from the CTO survey, and you'll also get some exclusive discounts for courses and other nice freebies. Thectosurvey.com is where you should go to check that out. Sorry, Espen, that it's uh, that this was a little bit long, but we have a little <laughs> bit one you know extra announcement uh, here uh, that I wanted to to squeeze in. And that's it. That's the show uh, for today. Uh, thank you, watchers and listeners, for joining Tech Leaders Hub. Aspen, thank you once again. It's like I feel like we could have two or three other follow-up discussions just based on this one alone and what we talked about before the show. Uh, so who knows? Maybe the stars will align and we'll have you on the show again. But this was super fun. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Um, uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> awesome. Okay, everybody, have a nice day or morning or evening or night, whichever. And we'll see you hopefully for Tech Leaders Hub very, very soon. All right, goodbye. Have a nice one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tech Leaders Hub. If you want more advice that will make you a better technical leader, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Tech Leaders Hub sessions are usually streamed live, giving you the opportunity to get answers to your burning questions directly from our guests. To take part in Tech Leaders Hub Live, follow STX Next on LinkedIn and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. That's S-T-X-N-E-X-T. Last but not least, we invite you to join our community and continue the discussion on Facebook. Just search for Tech Leaders Hub and you'll find our dedicated Facebook group. Once again, thanks for listening. Really glad you could join us. Hope we'll see you in the next one.